High Noon with George Hook. Thanks to ClaytonHotels.com with 17 hotels across Ireland and the UK. Time now for Numbers That Talk in the company of Deirdre Cullen, Senior Statistician at the CSO. Deirdre, welcome. What are you talking about? Um, so last week, the CSO published a report called Sustainable Development Indicators Ireland 2017. And the genesis of it is that uh, back in 2000, the United Nations adopted a series of Millennium Development Goals. And the idea was to set targets for the achievement of improvements in well-being for the world's population. And then each country is required now to produce reports if you like, that are measuring these um, development goals. And in Ireland, so in our report, we would have a chapter on the global indicators looking at, uh, you know, global population, which is what I might talk about today. But then there's a whole other range of other things such as government debt, um, exchequer tax revenue, income tax distribution, um, greenhouse gas All emissions. really exciting stuff, yeah. <laughs> well, I think, I think the global kind of uh, chapter is interesting because it's, it tells us about the world population and how it's projected to change okay. over the uh, next... Well, the reason when you were going on about uh, all the other stuff, I was frantic to drag you back to the first thing you said, which was global population. Global. Because I think this is, first of all, apart from being interesting, it also has... Uh, the, for the future of the planet and, and so on. It's a hugely important topic. It is. And like I could go back to when I was in school and they were talking about, you know, the, the planet not being able to sustain the population and it's probably doubled since then. So the world population in 2015 is 7.3 billion. Uh, how that breaks down is 1.3, 1.4 billion in China, um, 3 billion in the rest of Asia, excluding China, 1.2 billion in Africa, Europe, uh, uh, a pittance, <laughs> 740 million. Um, but the interesting thing is, how is that projected? Well, sorry, you, you know, you, like there's one point something billion in China and then in the rest of Asia, there's four point something billion. So uh, from a world population of what, seven and a bit billion, the best part is six billion are actually living in Asia. So you pick me up slightly wrong there. Asia is three and oh, then sorry. China 1.4. So 4.4. Yeah. yeah, no, you're absolutely Never right. That's a huge percentage yeah. of the total. Yeah, yeah. So uh, like, yeah, by way over half the total. All right. Yeah. So, and and really, Europe, when you think historically, Europe that had conquered uh, Africa and Asia and, and earned its wealth by conquest, really, it's going to be very interesting in the future now. The boot could be on the other foot. Well, I've been in here many times, George, talking about uh, fertility, you know, and yeah. how Ireland is hovers around two, which is replacement rate, and how across Europe... It wouldn't be, it'd be 1.4, 1.5, yeah. etc. So the figures I have in front of me are telling me that the population of Europe by 2030, which is only 13 years away really, is due to fall by 1% over that period. The population of the world is due to increase by 16%. So what? 16? From 7.4 billion to 8.5 billion. But that's billion. unsustainable, I put to you. Well, Asia, the population is... Uh, projected to increase by 16% from 3 billion to 3.5 and the population of Africa is projected to increase from 1.2 to 1.7 billion. 42% increase in the population yeah. in Africa. But you see, Deirdre, you know the way I like to get back always with your numbers to make them the, like, the, what does this mean socially? In the two continents you talk about, Asia and Africa, these are poor 
their third world, if we can use that old phrase. Now, as they're struggling to bring their countries up economically, they're, they're growing population-wise as well. So they're almost taking one step forward and one step back. I'm not sure we could class Asia in the, you know, developing world countries anymore. I have another table of figures in front of me yeah. that look at the population in, well, developing regions. It does say that in fairness at the top of the table. The percentage living on below a uh, twenty-five a day and how that has changed from 1990 to 2015. So that would be an indicator of extreme poverty. A dollar a day is give or take a euro a day now. You know what I mean? Isn't it? So, yes. so like living on a euro a day. Less yeah. than a year so back in back in 1990, if we have a look at North Africa, it was five percent of the population, and they set a target of three percent by 2015, and it's at one percent. So it's it it's p- bypassed that target. And if we look at Southeast Asia, 46. Sorry, what do you mean by bypassed? The target was to have only uh, to have three percent of the population living on. A dollar twenty-five a day, and today it's only one percent. Oh, I see. You're right. So it's improved. It's a, yeah, it's better sorry, than the target. It, yeah. yeah. Southeast Asia back in 1990 was 46 percent. By uh, 2000, it was 36 percent, and today it's seven percent. And but that's the, and the target had been 23 percent. So staggering improvement, George, in Southeast but Asia. Yes, when we go, like particularly a lot of people will go to Thailand because they go to the beaches and so on. When you go into Bangkok and the teeming millions and you see the way people are living and so on, and in my case going to Haiti, for instance, you know, um, and you see how people live, the the percentage might have fallen, but for the people who are in that percentage, living on less than a dollar a day, life is pretty difficult. Life is pretty difficult, but I think a lot of us would get the feeling that when we're flying now from Asia to Europe or to North America, it is, you know, in some ways it's like flying from the first world to the third world, especially yeah. if you've just come from Singapore or something, which is just... You know, it put the eye out of your head, the architecture and the buildings and the wealth in Singapore. Yeah. Um, now, what strikes me in this table is uh, sub-Saharan Africa, where back in 1990, the percentage living on $1.25 a day was 57%. And today um, it's at 41%. The target was 28 So Africa has missed its target. But part it is of the reason, dare I suggest, senior statistician, Deirdre Cullen. By all means. AIDS <laughs> has been a huge problem for the economy of sub-Saharan Africa because of the cost of it, because of the damage to the working population, the breakdown of families, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And I have the life expectancy figures in in front of me. So I've talked here before about life expectancy in Ireland for men, it's uh, 78 and for women, it's 81. Uh, For the whole world, men are 68 and women are 73. And in Africa, uh, a, a baby boy born in Africa today, their life expectancy at birth is 58. So 20 years younger than an Irish male. And a baby girl, her life expectancy is 61. So again, 20 years But But less. do you think where, not you of course, but I think of me or people, people I know at 58. I mean, they, they, they are still looking like they've got goals, yeah. they've got opportunity, they've got all sorts of things. Yeah, we're only to, halfway there. Yeah, yeah, to yeah. be talking about Africans dying at that stage yeah. is... A- across all of these tables, um, it's, it's, it's quite evident that Africa 
is is still really struggling. I mean, if I look at infant mortality, which is the number of uh, deaths per 100,000 babies born, um, in Europe it's five, in North America it's six, and in Africa it's 59. 59 against six in Europe. Against six. Asia, 31. The Caribbean, 27. So, you know, in the 20s, 30s. But again, Africa. 57. But also part of the problem, you know, and Ingrid, Delivery Ingrid talks about this a lot, that for the amount of money we have pumped into Africa, the return has been quite poor, partially because so many of the countries are ruled by despots or dictators. I'm sure there's a whole complex range of reasons there. So. No, but I mean, that's the problem. And as somebody who's worked like with the NGOs, the problem is trying to get the money, which generous people in Ireland or elsewhere have given, to get it to the right place. Yeah, it, it would feel, I think, anybody sitting back that billions and billions and billions, hundreds of billions have gone to Africa. And looking at these indicators um, that I have in front of me, Progress would seem to be still quite slow. Like that, um, I have figures here, infant mortality and then there's child mortality. So that's the number of children who don't make it past their fifth birthday. And um, so in Europe, five for the babies and then six for the five-year-olds. So that's the number of deaths between, you know... Per 100,000. Per 100,000. Which is And in Africa, it goes from 59 to 90. So even the one, two, three, four-year-olds are still dying in Africa. In, but in but it was 57 numbers. of infant mortality. 59. Or 50, yeah, yeah, 50 something. Yeah. And it goes to 90. Nine. So uh, the child reaches five. Now, at this point, you would have thought, like the, chan- the measles and whooping cough and, you know, all these kind of things. Mm. It survived all that part. It survived being born in, in, in unhygienic conditions, you know, with maybe no medical attention and so on. You would have thought it had almost cracked it by the time it yeah. reached five. Not according to these statistics. It's, yeah. it's, it's not really a, not quite... a very optimistic day today, Deirdre Collins. A little, little, bit, little bit negative. Have I, have I <laughs> now, any positive news? One of the things, and I wonder have you got info on it for me, yes. One of the things that is worrying, particularly us here in Ireland, is because of longevity, we're going to have a population in which we have a ton of old people, a ton of young people, and a small number of people in, in the middle paying the taxes to support it. Now, how do other countries, do you know how other countries are in terms of age? But if they're dying early, they can't have too many old people. Okay, so uh, today in 2015, the population age 65 and over in in the world 8% of the population is 65 and over and in Europe 18% so we've got the old population we've that's our problem right there Europe and North America 15% in North America well, that's one in five age 65 one and of over one in five one in six yeah and that's only going one way George because we're living longer improved medical conditions you know huge improvements in heart disease which you know always affected men more than women so that that metric is only going one way. And so, uh, you know, to, to to have young people, you know, be it inward migration or be it people having babies is hugely important. In Africa, the percentage of the population age 65 and over is 3% of the population. So they're, they're still having babies. Now, as I just talked about, they, they have this high child and infant mortality rate, but they do have the younger population. China, 10%. So they still have a significant proportion of their population in the working age, 15 to 64, we call that. Across the world, it's the highest, it's 73%. Whereas in 
uh, Europe is just 67%. But if, if you look, there's always this sense about Asia, I think, that you you have these grey-bearded old people who are still, because the family thing's very strong in Asia. You can go and see, uh, you know, grandfather, grandson, great-grandson, they're all the family thing. Um, you get the impression that Asians live longer. Uh, the longest uh, life expectancy in the world is in Japan. So I think in Ireland it's 81, about to hit 82 for women. I think in Japan it's something like 86. But you know Italy, why? It's, it's southern Italy and Japan. You know why in Japan? Tell me. They don't. Well, you see, this could be changing now. Mm. But traditionally, Japanese didn't eat meat. Theirs was primarily a fish diet. So therefore, all the things associated with meat consumption are non-existent in Japan, like apparently intestinal disorders because of meat, which we Europeans live with, unheard of in Japan. Okay, okay. Well, look, I, you know, you said it's a bit of a down, down, <laughs> negative <laughs> no, picture. No, no, it's I have some, I have some positive figures. Okay. So it's, it's enrollment ratio in primary education. So across the world, um, back in 1990, it was 82% and now it's 92%. And this Across the world? Yeah. Okay. 90. So that has to be an essential measure, if you like, of, of how an economy or a country might do on into the future. In the developed regions of the world, which of course would be Europe and, and North America, etc., 96%. And in the developing regions, 91%, having come up from 80%. But uh, having, if, sorry, go if ahead. If I jump down to sub-Saharan Africa, which back in 1990 was 53%, by 2000 had increased to 60% and today is 80%. So that's... A very positive picture, I think. Yeah, absolutely. But you would have to think, whatever the economy might be, young people would tend to go to school. And I mean, very young people. I mean, you know, uh, primary school. The 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 real problems of education then, when you come to to, is secondary school and more importantly, uh, third level. Like if you look at Ireland, the Ireland of me, of me, nineteen forties, nineteen fifties, huge numbers of Irish boys and girls left school at fourteen. Yeah, yeah, but George, when they left school at fourteen, they could read and write. These statistics are telling me that only twenty years ago, half the kids in Africa didn't get to school at all. And uh, yeah, so they, okay. they so they didn't learn to read and write. So you know, a twelve or thirteen year old, if they can read and write, I guess they've got some chance in the world. You know, yeah. they could always work in a call center or I'm, whatever. I'm, yeah. I'm not saying that's their fate, but they've got some chance in the world. So, I, you know, to me, that's the one positive picture you know coming out of this. And well, I guess the projections for the population in Africa as well must indicate improvements in mortality and and infant mortality but 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 the thing about africa in particular i think and i go keep going back to it is as infant mortality and child mortality drops as longevity increases and they already have a high birth rate it's an enormous problem to therefore build more schools or build more hospitals or whatever happens to be because of the increasing population yeah, but you can look at at people as a resource as well, you know. So, like, we we can. I mean, I'm I'm not an economist, but I imagine every country and every economy, you know, they an economy needs people. So it doesn't need children who are dying and old people who are dying. It needs young, healthy people in the no, middle. No, no, that, that wasn't the point. <laughs> yeah, but, but also, but no. if if you have 
economies, not necessarily living on uh, less than a dollar a day, but economies where you have low wage rates, what we have also seen is work has moved to those countries, like shoes are now made in China, you know, nowhere else like, Mm. or whatever. So the low-cost economies are getting work for their people. That's right. And I think it's even moved on from China now, hasn't it? And because wages in China have gone up and there's two or three hundred million people in China now classified as middle class, whereas I think only 20 years ago it was probably five or ten million. So um, the the low wage economies now, I think, might be even Bangladesh and um, and Indonesia. I have one final table here and it's employment rate and looking at the percentage of women at work across the world, it's 47% and in North Africa only 18%, West Asia 20%. So no, I mean, yeah, well, it just... Quite stark. Yeah, well, I mean, we talk here about women not getting a fair break and not enough women in the cabinet and everything. But we're talking about women at actually very high levels where in the third world, if you can still use that word, word or underdeveloped, the, the, the bias against women is very strong. It is very strong. And uh, the last time in the 2011 census, we looked at statistics on the percentage of women of different nationalities who were working outside the home. And I think among their Filipinos, it was the highest. And that would make sense because the Filipino nurses, and we saw a high percentage of Filipino males looking after the home or family, which is a kind of a interesting reversal. And then among other nationalities like Pakistani and um maybe some Middle Eastern nationalities, very low percentage of women working outside the home. Because, of course, religious bias. I mean, uh, the Muslim faith will be Mm. biased against women uh, in terms of having women working and particularly then women not wearing traditional dress or being allowed to drive motor cars or go out on their own. So so those countries, by, by definition almost, are bound to have a lower ratio of women working. Well, it's their loss. <laughs> Women add a lot to any economy. <laughs> All right. It's Numbers That Talk every Wednesday at this time in the company of the senior statistician at the CSO, Deirdre Cullen. If all the information and in more detail available, of course, at cso.ie. Today's programme had Michael Quilligan on sound, the research team of Kira Courtney, Alex Russo, uh, Peter Steers and Mark Simpson. Deirdre will be back next week. I'll be back tomorrow.